Hey everyone, welcome back to the Screenwriting Life. I'm Lorianne McKenna. Meg is not joining us today because she's out of town, um, but we are really excited to talk to writer and director Cora Jefferson, whose movie American Fiction is out right now. Um, but before we do that, we're going to do Adventures in Screenwriting Life with me and Jeff. So this week I have a deadline. I have a script to do in a couple of days. So I'm working on that and I'm working on an adaptation. So I'm working on that. I have a TV show I'm going to run hopefully. And I'm getting ready to uh, prepare a pitch that I'm going to take out that was, uh, we didn't get to take out because of the strike. So I'm really excited about that. And I love the show and I can't wait for it to be on the air. So my strategy around the show I'm taking out is that I am uh, hoping to meet someone who loves it as much as I do. Um, I'm not trying to sell it. I just want to find somebody who wants to make it as much as I do. Uh, so that frame of mind is helping me. Uh, that's what I'm looking for. So when I go into pitches and meetings, I'm going to be like, yeah, you love it as much as I do. Let's do it. And if they don't, then okay, I don't, I, they, they're not the right person for the project. So I will find that. And then I will keep everybody up to date on my journey with this project as we go forward. Um, the other thing that, oh, that I sort of encountered and was really interested in as it relates to screenwriting uh, broader, uh, I found this book I really love and it's very popular and it's a whole series and, you know, it's out there. I think somebody has the TV rights already and they're going to turn it into a TV show. Um, but I looked at this writer's uh, all the work she's done, and she's written a lot. And so I thought, oh, I'll go read some other things she's written. And it's all genre, which I love. And as I'm reading the books that she's written before this, I can see where she's improving. I can see how she built up her craft and her skills to get where she is with this book that everybody loves and is making a TV show. Um, but what I really admire about her is that her first couple of books, I can see who she is in those books and I can see her developing the craft and leaning into the genre and they're okay. And I enjoy them, but they're not as well done as the other ones. And there's so many of them. And what I love about this, and it's such a good reminder is you make a thing. It's not quite, I don't think she wanted it to be that, that she wanted it to be the version that came out nine years later that everybody loves. She still put it out there. And then she wrote the next one and she put that one out there. And every single book she writes, she's getting better and better at craft, surprising the audience, the character work, everything. And I, I want to remind us all that that's how we should be approaching our scripts. The expectation that the script we write is going to be the one that is the most popular, is the best, is the one that blows the socks off everyone is not realistic. We get to write a script and finish it and be done and share it. And then in 10 years, we get to look back at our earlier work and be like, wow, I've really improved. Not 10 years later, looking at the same script. So you got to keep writing and finishing and trusting that as you're doing that, you're getting better and you're going to, you're developing your craft and your skills and your taste and your knowledge and everything. Um, and so, and also I can look at this writer's work like that because um, I don't want to be a novelist. I think it's incredibly hard. I have no interest in doing it. And so I can still, I can look at it with kindness and love without judgment. Oh, wow, look, she's getting better, right? Rather than when I look at my own work, which is, wow, I still suck at that thing. Instead of that, I'm going to just finish the thing and keep going because I have a lot of stories in me, a lot of them, because genre follows the same format. So all of these stories are the same format. 
very similar. And yet she does something new and different with every single one. So that was my sort of jolt of reality in terms of you got to finish and put something out there and walk away and go on to the next many, many things. It's really valuable, Lorian. I, uh, I, we talked about it on the show, Megan and I both read this book last year called Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow, which um, is by this author, Gabrielle Zevin, who I think it's her ninth novel. And it's so funny because of course all the reviews are like her breakout book. And she's like, I've been writing books for 20 years, but she said, and this was a huge bestseller, super acclaimed, but she said that this is the first book she's written where she feels like her ambition and her taste finally matched the book. <laughs> so I just think it's so important what you're saying, but that doesn't mean her preceding eight novels aren't great for what they are. Um, and some of them are beloved, but it took, she's like, it took me eight books to feel like I could finally write the book that I was able to like really match my taste and my craft with the ambition of the story I wanted to tell. So that should be yeah. affirming to all of us. And that's what I see. I see her in all these books. I saw her working out things that I saw in the the series that is really popular and, and everybody loves. Like I could, oh, this is that same moment in that one. She's like working this out. Like, oh, this is that scene here. And this, like, I can see her rough, but they're not rough drafts. They're just, she's just Polishing. dialing it in in this really beautiful way. I don't know. I, I'm not going to call the other her out. Thing I like, <laughs> the other thing I like about what you're saying, though, Lorraine, is that I think you mentioned that you could see her even in her early work. That wasn't quite as polished. So what I'm also hearing you say is even if your craft and your taste isn't quite to the level of ambition that you hope it'll be in a decade, you still have to be in the work because that's going to be the thing that pushes it as you continue to hone your your craft. Yeah. Yeah. So how was your week, Jeff? It was interesting. I, I mentioned it a couple weeks ago, but I've been having a lot of fun. I'm writing like a very kind of traditionally paced medical network drama, which I hope isn't a stupid follow up to this like earnest indie coming of age dramedy I released last year. But I'm having a lot of fun and it's nice because there's like an engine and like I feel like I've pitched it to some folks and they can start throwing me episode ideas. So I'm like, OK, there's like there's a framework here that I feel like is like the good sort of DNA for a show. And I've been having a lot of fun. I'm like doing research on like in the, it's, you know, most medical dramas, there's like a couple cases of the week in the A story and the B story. So I'm like researching this specific case and like learning about the different ways that it could go wrong in the operating room and like what could, what this team of doctors could do to adjust. And I'm kind of having a blast, but it's very strange for me because up until now, most of my writing has been sort of like sort of grounded down to earth character stuff and network TV is weird, especially medical TV, because by nature of what it is, it's just kind of elevated. Like the, the dialogue that the doctors are throwing mm. around in the OR and the ER probably wouldn't exactly mirror how people would actually talk in that room. So I'm having to check myself. Like, is this like canned like hack writing or is this just like matching the beats and the pacing of like an exciting 42 minute act broken network show. So it's been interesting to like check myself on that. Like this still feels true, even if the dialogue is existing in this kind of like elevated heightened world, just because I don't have a ton of experience writing in that tone. Um, so but it's been kind of those weird... shows right, and you have, exactly. to have fun. Like what you have. It is fun really with. fun. I'm having a blast. Like, do you think Aaron Sorkin was like, I wonder if they really talk like this in the White House? That's true. No, that's exactly right. But it is a funny thing of like checking mm -hmm. as you're pushing into style and like elevated dialogue or whatever, you have to keep asking yourself, like, is this true? Like, does this still reflect the truth of what the show's about? So you have so like Jodie Foster sitting here on your shoulder. Yeah, exactly. 
Is and then Shonda true? rhymes over here, right? Like, cause right. I mean, she's probably the most celebrated writer in town, but her characters kind of have that elevated thing going on in her, her stuff mm -hmm. too. So it's been really fun. It's just been like pushing me and I'm, I'm letting it just be fun. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. And Savannah, how was your week? Oh, it was great. Um, but I did have a question for you guys. Cause you're, you're talking about, um, like kind of falling in love with, um, IP and, you know, like different writers and not really, and also cord, you know, we'll, mm -hmm. We can let him know. We uh, pre-taped our segment with Cord. So if you want to throw it to something he'll mention, you can. Falling in love with both not knowing if the rights are there. Yeah. I was curious, like, what your thoughts are about, like, if you if you do fall in love with a piece of material and you are an emerging writer, like, is is there some, and you, like, see yourself in it and you feel it in your bones the way Cord will explain, is there some wisdom into just kind of, like, pursuing that as a writing exercise? Or is it a fool's errand? I'm just curious what you guys think. I wouldn't do it um, because I feel like your time, all that energy, all that connection to that can be spent developing your own material or finding a different piece of IP. I don't think any writing is wasted. Uh, I think probably some writers have done this as an exercise. It's like a spec script of an existing show. It's an exercise. But when you're doing a spec script of an existing show, it's to learn format, to write in someone else's voice. When you're adapting a book or an IP, it's to put your voice, to put yourself into that story. So it's, I don't know if there's a reader for it. That's the thing, right? We write to be written ultimately. Um, I don't know. I wouldn't do it. I would go through the whole grieving process about it. Oh, the rights are already taken. Clearly, I wasn't the person to write this. Now, I will say the book that I adapted, the rights were held by somebody else. I was commissioned to write it. Then the rights were available and then I got them and I rewrote my script. So sometimes you just got to watch it. That's what I would recommend. Pay attention. Who has the rights? What are they doing with it? But I, I wouldn't. Would you? I don't have an answer for this because I have never adapted anything. Well, yeah, like, I, I mean, I've reached out to a publisher before for, you know, like a, a young adult novelist who mm -hmm. I thought was really promising um, and just got a response saying, yeah, the rights are available, you know, period, no further yeah. <laughs> session, but, um, and kind of took it you know, with you kind of like pitched it out or you started an outline, um, you know, but I mean, that's, that's one, one approach, I guess, maybe. To well, see you, I, so when you're getting rights for project, it will, um, you want to make sure that you don't get, you don't ask them too many times or from too many places, because then they might think, oh, a lot of people are interested and it's good to go through a rep or a producer. Right. Well, you're a producer. So, right. You would you would be doing it. But um, get the rights, then work on it. Well, speaking of rights, it's a great transition into our conversation with Cord. Lorraine, do you want to introduce our amazing guest, Cord Jefferson? Yes, I do. 
Today, we're thrilled to welcome Cord Jefferson, whose debut feature film, American Fiction, which he wrote and directed, is one of the most talked about movies of the year. Cord has experience as a journalist, having written for publications including Gawker, USA Today, and The Root, and has written for TV shows Master of None, The Good Place, Watchmen, and Succession. Welcome, Cord. We're super excited to have you on the show today. And we actually met in an elevator at AFF. So oh, real. Oh, wait a minute. Yes, you were at the hotel. Yes, yes. yes. Yeah. Good to like see you again. Seconds. Yes, like... I do remember this. <laughs> I remember that. Good to see you again. Number one, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Yeah. I cannot complain. I cannot complain. It's uh, these are these are uh, crazy days, but it's it's uh, preferable to the alternative. So I, I will I will accept the craziness. What's the alternative? Um, you know, I think that the releasing. I was listening to this. Uh, I'm I'm a big John Waters fan, and I was listening to this John Waters interview they were doing because they did the retrospective at the Academy Museum, mm -hmm. and uh, somebody came up to him and they said, "What do you? Uh, what's your advice for sort of like budding filmmakers? Like, what do you, what do you need to do to be a filmmaker?" And I can't remember exactly what he said, but I, but but his last word of advice was, "Somebody has to like it be besides your mama and the person you're fucking." <laughs> and so, and so, I mean, it's true. <laughs> yeah, and so, and so, you know, I think that the alternative is putting your heart and soul into this thing, as so many people do, and then sort of, you know, it just it coming out and nobody paying attention to it. And I think that, especially in this world when it is, it's so hard to break through because people, you know, you're not just competing with all the other television shows and movies; you're competing with TikTok and the internet, and just sort of like people are just sort of like people's attention is just all these other places other than where it used to be, which is on film and television, that it's really hard to break through. And it's really sort of, you know, I've worked on stuff that I'm really proud of that people don't pay attention to. And I just think that there is, uh, you know, so so I think that I, 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 especially when it's something as this movie is so deeply personal to me and there's so much of me in it that, um, you know, I, I'm very, and, and also it was, we made it with almost no money. It was sort of like very, we made it in almost no time. It was just sort of like very, very sort of like, uh, it was a very sort of, it was a thing where I was just like, I love this. I think this is good, but I have no idea if anybody else is going to think this is good, you know? And so uh, the momentum that it's gotten and the attention it's received is is beyond my wildest dreams. And so I think that that's, what, that's the thing. It's just, it's just, you know, you're, Making anything as a vulnerable experience, I think, especially especially when you're, like I said, is something as personal as this is to me. Hey, everyone. So the new version of Final Draft, Final Draft 13, is out. And, you know, the question's going around. Is it worth it? Is it worth it to buy or upgrade? And our answer is yes. So I recently got notes on a pilot, and I want to see how it works in my rewrite to move a couple of scenes. And usually what I do is, you know, cut and paste, uh, which works out sometimes. But mostly it means I lose text because I move so quickly. But the new version of Final Draft has this cool feature called Navigator 2.0, where you can actually just move scenes around right in your script. So without losing something, I can see what's working, what I'm missing, or what needs to be rewritten, or you know, if I have to lose the scene altogether. But it's really, really helpful. And what's most important to me about this is that I'm not losing anything. Woohoo! Yes. I am laying out a new project, and I want to card it. And I can now do that inside of Final Draft, and it's now a super easy way. You can take those cards and then make them into an outline with a simple drag and drop. 
So it's just a great way to see the larger story that you're writing and get down the details, track characters. I just love it. And for our emerging writers, a great new feature is Final Draft lets you set writing goals like page count or timed writing sprints, which is super cool. So uh, we think the new version is really worth uh, investing in. So you can head over to finaldraft.com slash products to get the new version with a discount code of ScreenFD for 25% off. You should check it out. That's ScreenFD. S-C-R-E-E-N-F-D. So I'd love to hear about, so I love the movie. I thought Thank it was you. poignant and funny and heartbreaking and challenging and so well-written and so well-directed. And the performances were stunning. I Thanks. mean, really, truly how those actors made those characters come alive. But it's so much to speaks to like the specificity mm -hmm. that you wrote those characters. Yeah. Um, and so it was like a gift for me Thank to be you. like, because we on the show, we always talk about specificity creates relatability. And yeah. this is a world I know nothing about, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I was in academia for a hot second. So I know yeah. it, like just the book world and and everything else, the story you were telling. But I felt so connected to the characters because of that specificity. Yeah. And I have to say, I was deeply in love with Cliff. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why like, I love all the characters, but like Cliff for me was like, oh, man. I want to spend time with that guy yeah, just to exactly. see what he'll do and he'll say. And that that sort of kind of risky character yeah. and that sort of like, oh, my God, it's so he's so unexpected. Yeah. I, he must have been so fun to write. Oh, God. Yeah. I think that, you know, the two characters who resemble me the most are Monk and Cliff. And uh, oh, my God, that's such a weird yeah. dichotomy. <laughs> I know. I know. But I think that it's because I feel very much it's this it's just. I think that one of the themes of the film is um, what happens to people when they don't feel free to be who they are and sort of like, and, and, and the, and the weird things that people will do when they feel like they're not given the freedom to be who they want to be. And, um, and I think that it's sort of like, it's the, these, what you're seeing is these, you know, what you're seeing in Cliff is like a guy who's finally, finally saying like, I want to be who I am. And like going through the sort of like rocky road to finding who that is. Mm -hmm. But it's like he's going, he's doing it. He's saying like, I'm I'm sick of like, I'm sick of living secretly. I'm sick of not being who I actually am. And I want to sort of like be open with that. And so he's on a sort of like rough road to get there, but he's getting there. You know, he's sort of mm -hmm. like, he's trying. And Monk is a guy who can't do that. A monk is a guy who sort of like has built up this facade He's sort of like he's not really letting anybody in. He's alienated his family. He's alienated his colleagues. He's alienated his love interests. He's just sort of like very much created and uh, turned himself into an island and sort of like lives behind this veneer um, and doesn't really let anybody in. And so for a long, long time, that was me. I think that that was a guy that was who I was. I was a guy who who. Um, really didn't let anybody in. There was, you know, I, I was alienated from my family. I was alienated from my friends. I had, I was a guy, I remember I have. I had a friend one time, a new friend, I was just meeting this person. And at the end of our, at the end of our dinner, uh, he said to me, he said to me, um, I realized that we've just spoken for two hours and you know everything about me and I know nothing about you. And that was sort of like the kind of person that I was, was sort of like, I really didn't let anybody in. 
was very interested in other people and chatty and sort of like nice and friendly, but like, I didn't like to answer questions about myself. I didn't really like to get deep about myself. It was just, that is something that sort of like, I kept at a distance. And so it's sort of, I, I, I feel, I, I felt like, I feel very much like Cliff now because I am trying to explore that and become that. And it has been kind of a rocky road as I've sort of like tried to figure out who that is. Mm -hmm. Um, but for a long time I was monk and I just think that, that, uh, you know, people, we all build up facades, you know, and I think that, that, and we all sort of like, uh, have things that are, that are secret to us that we do not let other people see. And I think that, you know, a lot of this movie was, was cathartic for me in writing about mm -hmm. these characters who are, who are trying to get past that and who are trying to, to be more open with the world, you know? So you've been a writer, you've been a journalist and a TV writer, and now a feature film writer and director. Yeah. When in your career did you have that dinner with a friend when you realized that? What were you writing at that time? And part two of that is, when did you get your hands on this book? Yeah. Like Everett. So I was a journalist when that person said that. And there was, an, and then sort of like, there was all these clues in my life that I wasn't mm -hmm. really paying attention to. Because around that same time, I had a girlfriend who said to me, uh, who said to me, it's so weird to me because you are you write about the most intimate details of your life and you publish it for the whole world to read. And she said, and then when we talk, you don't tell me anything. Like she said, I learn about you through your writing. I learn things about you that you want, you've never told me and I'm one of the closest people in the world to you. And I think that sort of like at the time, I still was really blind to what she was saying and what was going on in the world, which was that writing for me, like, I think one of the reasons why I always was drawn to writing, even before I allowed myself to think of myself as a writer, mm -hmm. is because it felt it always felt cathartic for me. It always felt like like at the first time that I really started writing things for the public consumption, I was on my high school newspaper uh, and I decided to join the high school paper and I became an op ed columnist. And I remember, you know, it's whatever your op eds are when you're when you're a teenager. But I but I remember thinking, like, there's something that feels really good about this. This feels nice. It feels good to sort of like write my thoughts down and sort of like organize them and then put them out there. There's something nice about that. And I don't think I ever connected that like the reason I loved writing is because I was allowing myself to be honest with people. And I was actually sort of like telling people the truth. And I was sort of saying things that I that I felt uncomfortable saying to people in my actual life, you know. But and so still I think a little that, bit of protecting, right? Still a little oh, bit of difference oh, absolutely, you can because, hide behind a persona. Oh, absolutely. Right? Like, so, absolutely. so then, you know. Absolutely. And yeah. so that to me was, that to me was, was what I think that when I really started, uh, when I really started getting good at writing was when I was like, okay, let's start to be a little bit more honest and let's start to be vulnerable. And like when the writing feels vulnerable, that's when you, I think you're really onto something. And so mm -hmm. I had been, this came to me after I had had a, we all had a really awful 2020. I don't think that that's saying anything <laughs> unique, but, but in 2020, besides the pandemic, I had had this, I had had this huge professional failure where I, where I thought I, I, I had come so close to getting a TV show made mm. that people had started telling me the address of where our production offices were going to be in New York to yeah. tell me to start getting my 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 Airbnb near here because here's where the production offices are going to be. And it was like, great, okay, this is on rails. We're good. And then, you know, as it so happens, as it so happens so often in this industry, it was like at the last minute, they were like, actually, we're not doing this anymore. And it's dead. 
And so that was September of 2020. And I was really. And you're just left there with all those characters. We'd written it. Well, not we'd around written, you. We'd written the entire season oh. by then. The entire season was written. Oh, all, no. all, all the episodes were written. We had done all, all the work. The, the show was written. And it was just like, sorry, we're not doing this anymore. And so I was really feeling really creatively adrift. I was feeling really miserable. And I was uh, looking for just a new book to read over the holiday break. I was with no designs on finding something to adapt. It was just like, let's find something to read for the next week and a half. And so um, I was reading this review for a different book. And in the review, it referenced it referenced Erasure. And I had never heard of Erasure. And, and I went and picked it up and kind of... I'm a very slow reader normally and and uh but this was just something that I just devoured. It was like kind of mm -hmm. like oh I just when I was away from it I was like I need to go back to that book. I I need to go back to that book and see what happens. And so uh I read it in about a week which is really fast for me and and within 100 pages I kind of knew I want to adapt this into a screenplay and then and then you know I started I started reading the novel in Jeffrey Wright's voice. I started picturing Jeffrey in the scenes as monk wow. it just started to sort of manifest before my eyes like i need to i need to make this happen and so as soon as i was done with it i reached out to my manager and said i think you should read this book because i think that i might want to try to make this into a movie and so he read it really quickly and then we reached out to percival everett the author for the rights and and uh it went from there wow so you were about 100 pages in yeah. But what was it? What was that feeling? Right. We talk a lot about this on the show, too. Like I've adapted a book before and I got about 30 pages in and I was like, this is me. I'm the only one that can tell her story. Yes. Right. Like it's me. Exactly. It's just in a wish fulfillment version of me. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And so it, but it also felt like I felt it in my body. Right. Yeah. I felt I felt jumpy and excited about it. Like I got to do this right now. I got to. Yeah. I got to make describing this happen. You're describing me exactly in that like I was I read it over the holidays and the thing that I was so frustrated about was that it was the holidays, so everything was closed. And I was like, well, we got to do this now. Like, well, I want to get him on the phone, like get into your office like Hollywood needs to open again. And it was like, sorry, you got to wait until like the new year. And so it was like so I was I feel the same way. I was like bouncing off the walls, ready to sort of like start working on this. And it was like and I was freaking out because I was like. What if the rights are taken? What if somebody else is already working on this? And like, I was having all these like terrifying ideas in my head that like this thing that I had just fallen in love with, I was going to find, I had to wait two weeks to find out that I couldn't do it. And it was sort of heartbreaking. You know, it's like, it's like being a kid and waiting for Christmas. That's truly what it felt like. And so, um, uh, fortunately the, the, the rights were available, but, but, but the thing that I felt is exactly what you're describing. It was like, you know, so, so there's obviously the, there's these, there's these satirical sort of professional themes in it about like what people expect of black writers and sort of like the limitations and restrictions people put on what they think you can and can't write and what the what audiences want from you. And that sort of stuff was was stuff that I'd been thinking about since I was a journalist. I was a journalist before I started working in film and television for eight or nine years. And that's stuff that I'd been talking about since I was a journalist, this idea that people really had a limited perspective as what it what journalists of color should write about what we could write about um and then when i got into film and television i realized it was more the same it was like do you want to write about slavery do you want to write about drug dealers do you want to write about you know single mothers like it's struggling to get their kids out of foster care like there's it's just all these all these sort of you know we understand we understand the sort of the the tropes of of what it means to like make black cinema and black tv and so to me, the, the the 
that stuff really stood out to me immediately. But then on top of that, it was like, I have two siblings the way that Monk has two siblings. You know, we have our own mm-hmm. push and pull dynamic the way that Monk has with his siblings, where sometimes we're closer, but sometimes we're more distant. We have a very overbearing father figure. I love my father very much, but I he has told me he is he is willing to be called <laughs> overbearing. He's admitted that he was <laughs> overbearing. And that was that was his relationship with us, like Monk and his his family had. My mother didn't die of Alzheimer's, but I moved my mother died of cancer eight years ago. And like Monk, I I moved home for a period of time to take care of her toward the end of her life. So as you said, it was like I was like, it started to get like the Venn diagram between Monk's life and my life started to become a circle where I was just like this. I understand this person and these characters on a molecular level. Like I just really feel like I knew them in my bones. Mm -hmm. And so that's what that's what I was like. I need to adapt this just because I feel like I know this story and these characters as well, if not better than any writer on earth like that, that this is, this feels like I just understood. Like, I think that that's the key to a great adaptation, right? And I'm making some, mm-hmm. I think some people just are like, well, why are you adapting this book? It's like, well, it was because a very popular book. And so it's a very, and so it could be a very popular movie because it's a very popular book. And I think that, you know, I think that those adaptations tend to be pretty bloodless sometimes and feel like you can feel that there is no passion in them. And so I think the adaptations that really sing for me have always been ones where you can tell like somebody saw themselves in this really deeply and like, this is me. And I sort of like that there's something really personal here for me that I want to touch on. And that's how I felt. I felt the exact same way as you felt truly like down to down to feeling jumpy. Like I remember feeling jumpy the way that you felt jumpy. And it's scary though, too, right? Because you're you're willingly saying, I'm gonna take the responsibility of this story. Um, and you're gonna trust me with it. Yeah. And and so then where do you start? So you got the rights to the book. Yeah. You're sitting down. It's day one. <laughs> yeah. What are you doing? Just from right? a practical level, the thing that I tell people is I um I very fortunately have this wonderful assistant named Hannah Offer, who's who's sort of was the one get an assistant. Got it. Yes. yes. (laughs) (laughs) But if you don't have but but the thing that I had I asked Hannah to do was I was like, just go through and outline the novel for me in prose. Just I want just sort of like a rough, like basically sort of like Mm -hmm. condense the book into 10 pages and sort of like the big beats and sort of like the big things that happen. And so, yeah, I, I didn't want to. I was going to say that I outlined it, and I was like, "You can't erase the fact that you had somebody do this." Well for done, you. Hannah. And so, yeah, Hannah Offer is amazing. She's she's become a really close friend of mine, besides just sort of like a a, a colleague. But um, that was the first thing that I did. I think the first the first key is just put everything on paper as you go through, and sort of like read the book again and go put everything on paper that exists in the story. And then once you have that in front of you. Then it allows you to say like, okay, here's what I can omit. Here's what, here's what I don't need. Like, here's what happens in the book, but I don't need in the, Mm -hmm. in the film and sort of like, what's, what's going to make, there's things that I think are like necessary, essential to the spirit and the essence of the novel that you don't want to lose because you don't want to lose people who love the novel. You don't want to make some, and you, and you also want Percival asked to read the script before he would give me the rights. So he gave me the rights to the book for free for six Mm -hmm. months. He mm-hmm. said, go off and write a script. And if something comes of it, then you can then uh, you can pay me then. But before then, he's like, just go off and write the script. But so before he would officially give me the rights, he had to read the script. Wow. And so it's like, so I had to make sure that I was doing something that felt like 
I could show it to the author and say, look, I understand what you were attempting to do while also making something that was different from the book and was more cinematic and was a movie that they would mm -hmm. let me direct, you know? And so it was just about figuring, okay, this is like a good funny part of the book, but I don't need this for the film. And this is, and this is, this is a good part of the book, but it's not cinematic enough. And so like, let's get rid of this. And so it was just sort of like cutting and moving around piece it's like building the puzzle right it's like kind of like cutting out this and then sort of like cutting this out and moving this out because this is better here in a movie and like this is actually this is wonderful but we have to excise this it was just about sort of like putting that together and once i was able to put that together that was sort of my outline and then mm -hmm. i just went sort of like went from there and it was like then when i had those in place i was like okay now that i have the stuff in place from the book what's missing? What do I need to add? Like, what do yep. I need to sort of like put in that's not here? And so, for instance, that scene with Issa and Ma, Issa and Jeffrey at the end of the film, where they're sort of talking about their different approaches to art and sort of their different approaches to writing. That's not in the, that's not in the book. But when I was reading the book and looking at the outline, I was like, I, re I was really craving that scene. I was like, I can't wait for Monk and Centara to meet because that's going to be an explosive, really fun meaty scene where they talk about their different perspectives and that wasn't in the book and so i was mm -hmm. like okay i need to add that that's something that i need to add and then i need to add this and then i need to add this and then once i had that then i had my outline and then i was ready to write and it's sort of like that made just from a practical standpoint that was the process was just picking and choosing what you need and what you don't need and then figuring out what you need to add that didn't exist in the original text to make to make it something that you you know you need to you also need to acknowledge that, you know, you're going to make some big changes, you know, and that and that that that's OK. I think that one of the things that I learned about adaptation in Watchmen, Watchmen was the first adaptation that I ever worked on. And the thing that Damon kept saying in the room was every writer understands this feeling, right, which is that looking at a blank page is both equally exciting and terrifying. It's exciting because you're like, you can do anything. But it's then it's Monk terrifying. And Cliff. Yeah, it's exactly. Cliff. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But then it's terrifying because you're like, you can do anything. And so, and so there's no restrictions there. And that can be paralyzing because like I can do whatever. And so now I don't even know where to begin because I can do whatever. And so the parameters that Damon put on Watchmen, because he was like, we can do anything, was we can do whatever we want because we're building a brand new world but it needs to feel Watchmen. He always said that. Like it needs, we all understand the feeling that this book gives us and we need to hew to the feeling, not necessarily the text, but we need to hew to the emotions and the spirit and the essence. Yeah. And so he would say, you'd have a pitch sometimes, he's like, that's a good pitch for something else, but it doesn't feel Watchmen. And so to me, that was what I needed to hew closely to was like, what feels like erasure? Does this feel like the novel? Does this feel like it's of a piece with everything else that exists there? And that was really a guiding principle too when I started writing was like, does this feel like, so for instance, it needed to be funny. I knew that because the book is very funny. Um, I'm sorry, I'm going to interrupt you. The joke no, with, with Monk and his sister in the car <laughs> slayed me. I don't want to give it that's away. That's from the book. That's from the book. I will not. I don't take want to give it away in case people haven't seen it yet. Like no that spoilers. The but <laughs> I, I was still laughing when I was driving home. I'm I happy just, to hear that. <laughs> I because it was so well delivered and so yeah. well directed. Yeah, and it was she's so amazing. earnest. Like the question was so <laughs> earnest. You know, it was like, oh, this isn't a joke setup vibe. Yeah. But it, oh, 
so good. I'm happy so to hear good. that. No, I love that joke. It's 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 amazing. It's it. Yeah, we'll not spoil it, but it it's a okay. it's a long walk, but it's but it's oh, good. It's got it a good payoff. Delicious. It was delicious. Okay, so yeah, it had to be funny to but feel it had to like be the funny. Book. It had to be a little meta textual because the book is a little meta, and so I mm -hmm. needed to inc incorporate some of those elements. And then one of the last things, the epilogue of the book is is a. Uh, is this Latin phrase that I was unfamiliar with, but apparently it's it it's uh, normally used in relationship to complex mathematics. And the and the rough translation is I offer no hypothesis. That's sort of like the last the last words of that novel are I offer no hypothesis. I get hypothesis. the ending now. Yeah. And so to me, the 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 I couldn't make a movie that felt didactic. Mm -hmm. I couldn't write something that felt like it was spoon feeding you morality. It needed to be like here's some characters, here's some scenarios, and you, it's up to you to decide how you feel when you walk out of this thing, when you're done consuming yeah. it. And so those were like three pillars that I was like, I need to make sure that I include this stuff. And the rest, I can kind of like add in what feels erasure, but sort of like isn't necessarily exactly what happened in the book. And so that was important to me also, was to main maintain the spirit and the feeling and not necessarily maintain the text. And I think that those are, those are all very, very important things to making an adaptation really work. I agree. And I love what that you brought up that phrase at the end, because I was going to ask you, was there like a central image or something you were holding up as like the guidepost? And it seems like it was those three things. So yeah, exactly. Think, and exactly. anything we write, I feel like we need to be focused on that. So we understand for ourselves and can articulate the core of the project that we're working on. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, did you know you were going to direct from the beginning? No, no. Uh, but by the time that I was done reading the novel, I felt like, okay, this is, I knew that when I went to write the script, I knew that I, I felt so passionately about the material. I knew that when I went to write the script, I would feel so, there's so much of me in the script, as I said, because I, because I felt so close to the material, there's so much of me in it, literally sort of like things that have happened in my life to the, you know, the fake book titles most of those fake book titles are the names of my friends' bands in high school. My God, I love <laughs> like it. it was just. I love it. I just so so when my <laughs> friends' bands, so when my friends from high school have gone to see in the movie, they've like texted me immediately and they're like, "Oh my God, I can't believe it!" So it's like Car Full of Bosnians was a punk band that a bunch of my Bosnian friends started in high school, and so I put that in there. So so there's so from big details to small details, there's a lot of me in there, and I knew that when I was done writing the script, I would feel so close to it that it would break my heart to give it away to somebody else. And I knew that I couldn't, I knew that I couldn't, I knew that it would break my heart if I sent it out and they were like, this is great. Now let's see what Barry Jenkins is doing. Or let's see what, see what Spike Lee is doing. Like I knew that that would be too devastating of a development. Not that they couldn't direct it well. Like I love, yeah. there's a lot of really great directors, but I just knew that I had a vision for it. And I knew that I really, really wanted to see that vision come to life. And so um, by the time that I was done with the book, though, I felt like this is going to be so this script is going to be so important to me that it will break my heart if I if I let anybody else direct it. And so uh, when we took it out, I just said, like, it's a package deal. And if you you and you have to read it knowing that I need to direct it. Otherwise, don't read it. Wow. Yeah. The, my, my, the feature I adapted from this book, I've been having an ongoing conversation with myself about that same thing. I'm going to direct yeah. it. I can't direct it. I want to yeah. direct it. I can't direct it. Like, <laughs> Yeah. I, I Have you ever directed something? Animation. But the animation counts as directing, firstly. And secondly, like animation is cinema. We need to, I, we all oh, need to understand. Yes. Yeah, I, mean, and, I, but, I yeah, come but, from animation. I make oh, animation. Yeah. <laughs> oh, great. But, but secondly, like, I think that actually I tell 
all writers who talk to me about directing that like you need to realize that maybe not everybody writes the way that I write, but when I'm writing, ever even before I started thinking about directing, when I was writing, I was already thinking about the way the characters are going to move around in this space, right? Where they're going to be standing in relation to each other. You're thinking about have a rough idea of what they're wearing. You have a rough idea. You have an understanding of like how you want them to enunciate this line, right? Like how you want them to tell this joke, the energy that you want for this joke. You're already thinking about stuff that directors are thinking about. You're just not articulating it because you're like, well, I'm putting this on the page and then I hand it off to a director. And so, yeah. but, but when you're in the creative process, you're already thinking about these things. And so to me, all you're doing, you're already kind of directing, right? Like there's, there's more to it than these things, of course, like there's personnel issues and sort of like HR stuff. Like there's like managerial stuff that is like not, that is a different part of the creative process, I'll say. But like, as far as sort of like the actual real straightforward creative process, you're already thinking like a director when you're, when you're making those decisions, you're just not telling anybody about them. So to me, I always tell people like, try it. Maybe you won't like it. Like I have, you know, there's writers that I know who have tried to direct it, and then they're like, never again. I did not enjoy that. I don't want to do it. I, I just, I always just want to write the script and that's fine for me. Um, but I tell everybody, just try it because you may love it. And sort of like, I actually think that directing makes you a much better writer. I think that it's, it's helped, it's helped my writing so much because I'm like, I'm sitting there now looking at scenes and I'm like, this is, I would cut this. Like as a director, if I were directing this scene right now, I would cut all of this because I don't need this. And sort of like, we need to move on to the next thing. And you just start thinking in those terms of like, what do you actually need for the scene? What's going to make the most interesting scene? And I think that when you're a writer, you become, you become a writer because you love language and you love words and you love, you love sort of, you love sort of like what words can do in the power of language. And that is very, very important. But then you start to realize like, yes, but I'm working in a visual medium. This isn't a novel. Like, and so sort of like, so as much as I love this line or this phrase, yeah. or sort of like, as much as I love this conversation, is it going to make the movie or the TV show better? Right. Yeah. I've and directed sort of like my own plays and I've yeah, had that. I've sat exactly. there and directed my plays like out. Exactly. Don't right. say that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And so I think and that it feels that good because is... you're like, you're like scraping away the, the, like the marble, the whole thing where you're, scra exactly. you're scraping it away. Exactly. I love this. I want to talk to you more about this. Like, we'll we'll grab coffee. I would, lo I would love that. I would love to talk to you forever about it. This is I, like truly, I love writing. I've loved writing since I started doing it, and talking to other writers is like one of my favorite things. So awesome. please, whenever. well, we have to go. We have to respect your time. I have one last question for you, though, which is: yes. What is your favorite writing snack? My favorite writing snack is. Uh, well, first, LaCroix, sparkling water. I think what every flavor. Writer... Please don't say lime. No, I'm a pomplemousse guy. Okay, same. Lime. I don't know what's guy. wrong with all you no. lime drinkers it's out there. It's too sweet. It's mm -mm. too sweet for me. I don't no. like it. No. The, the sort of like the uh, synthetic lime is gross. And then, um, so a lot of sparkling water. And then I would probably say I really, really, really like the Trader Joe's uh Dark chocolate covered almonds are sort of like I, that. That's Old always choice. Sort of like, yeah, I really, okay. really, really love those. Why? What do What do most people say? Well, I'm all chips and black licorice. Oh, right? okay. Black you know. licorice. I mean, that's a very. My mother loved black licorice. That was a, we. That was a yeah. huge division in our household. 
everybody it's... else thinks of dis she's every time we went to the movies she got good and plenty and it was oh. always it was always annoying mm. to me because like, we couldn't share i was like yeah i was like that's... i know you're not going to eat all those and i hate them get something that's that we why both... <laughs> we cultivate that's why we cultivate a taste for this stuff we don't have to share no i think dark chocolate covered almonds is such a good choice because you're not going to eat too many yeah exactly it's like after lunch it's always like i also really like mendocino farms i know mendocino farms is divisive but I love Mendo and always after after lunch, I'll give my I'll let myself eat like six dark chocolate covered almonds. Always. Okay. Great. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. I thank so you. love this conversation and thank you for coming on the show. And I would so love to have you come back. I would love it. Congratulations. Anytime, thank you so on much. The Golden Globe nominations. Thank you so much. Hopefully all the other awards coming up soon. It's very exciting. It. Thank and, you so much. Um, thank you. So much. No, thank you. It's been an honor. It's truly a pleasure. Thank you so much. Okay. Have a good one. Thanks so much to Cord for being on today's show. And for more TSL support, check out our Facebook group where tons of people are finding support um, from both emerging and professional writers. And if you haven't done so, please go to Apple Podcasts and review us with a five-star review. You don't have to write anything. I think you just click on the five stars. You can bounce. That's it. Or you can write something. We love to hear from you. Sometimes Jeff reads your reviews out loud. You get to be a little famous on our podcast. <laughs> and finally, remember, you are not alone and keep writing. <laughs>